Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. A quick note about the foundation, where we've embarked on our massive uh, literature review of uh, 5,000-plus sources on anxiety and depression, what causes it, how to treat it, etc. The goal here is to assemble a low-cost or no-cost resource for people suffering or people that know people that are suffering. So to find out more, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org. And today, my guest is uh, Carrie Wrigley. She's an author of uh, what's called Your Happiness Toolkit Workbook, uh, 16 Strategies for Overcoming Depression and Building a Joyful, Fulfilling Life. So Carrie, thank you for coming. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Yeah, tell me a bit about your journey. How did you interact or intersect with uh, anxiety and depression? Well, I... um. It goes back for me about as far as I go back. I was born into a family that uh, has certainly experienced some tendencies toward depression, anxiety, you know, from the time I arrived in my family, I was the oldest of seven children and certainly had my own bouts, um, particularly starting in college um, with some of those afflictions and started looking for answers. And, you know, because I was a poor college student, I didn't have money for therapy. I certainly didn't have money for doctors or anything like that. So I started looking for some self-help strategies first to help myself and, and ultimately was um, so much helped by those things that I decided to shift gears professionally and, and um, become a, a licensed clinical social worker. I've now been a counselor, um, a licensed clinical social worker for just over 30 years. And during that time of continued, as it sounds like you have, um, a search for answers to help um, myself, my family, and certainly my clients and others that my influence can reach. I've taught a number of classes for over 20 years now on these kinds of topics, 
this book that you mentioned, the Happiness Toolkit Workbook, is actually a second book. The first one is the original book, which was published in 2019, Your Happiness Toolkit, 16 Strategies for Overcoming Depression and Building a Joyful, Fulfilling Life. And that book, both of the books actually, um, are a reflection of the 16 strategies that I found most useful over the years in my own life and in my practice as a counselor to help myself, my family members, and others. Again, as you mentioned, um, with low or no cost, um, self-help, healing from inside out kinds of strategies. And so it's been exciting over the years. I've been in private practice now for just over 10 years and I've been a counselor for over 30. It's been exciting to see how people can actually heal when they do things in an active way that helps them to heal from the inside out, rather than just expecting somebody or something from the outside to provide some external relief. What, what does that mean? Like, what is it just being it's, um, it's self-induced that you took action to help yourself? Or is it uh, different than that? Is it a different nuance? It basically is action to help yourself, action and insights and perspectives adopted. So it's partly cognitive, uh, adopting ideas that are healing. And yes, engaging in actions that are healing. And I'm, I, I think we're very fortunate in this day and age to live in a time when so many, not just me, but so many have documented their journey and their discoveries so that when we find ourselves in a position needing to help ourselves or others personally or professionally, there is already a rich repository of, of ideas that, that can guide our actions and guide, you know, the replacement of thoughts and actions that otherwise can lead us in a downward spiral. You know, basically what I've found is it, is it ends up coming down to this. There are certain things that make us worse emotionally and physically, and there are certain things that make us better emotionally and physically, and they go together and they're consistent over time. And the things that make us better fight depression and anxiety and addiction and relationship problems and anger and so on and so on. And things that make us worse tend to make us worse across the board and all those different things. And, and so when you kind of crack the code, you're not just, I, I went in, you know, initially studying depression because so many of my clients were, were suffering from that. But I've since found that, again, the things that work, work. And the things that don't work, don't work. And the things that generate wellness and resilience and strength work across the board. And so, you know, once people learn those skills, those strategies, those tools for themselves, they can do a tremendous amount of good, not just for themselves and their families, um, but in, in sharing and spreading those with others. Oh, all right. So what are some of the things that work and what are some of the things that don't? Maybe the more surprising ones or just the ones that play in work or not? Sure. The number one thing that doesn't work is getting dependent on someone else to make you happy. And there's a lot of different ways people can do that. You know, we, we live in a day and age when we're inundated with, you know, uh, advertising and, you know, uh, media influences that if only we have this product or buy this thing or get this medication or get this treatment, then, you know, we'll finally be well and happy. It's been my experience that happiness never, ever comes from the outside. A certain amount of relief, a certain amount of not feeling alone, a certain amount of you know, that kind of, of relief can come from the outside, but really healing comes from the inside of doing the hard work of changing thoughts and behaviors that um, don't work and trading them in for things that do work. For example, one of the things that clearly doesn't work is focusing on the negative, which unfortunately we live in a world, particularly a media system that does that literally on a 24 seven cycle. News is literally defined as the worst possible things that happened in the entire planet over the last few hours. 
you know, with our eyes glued to that screen. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that we have more depression, more anxiety than we ever have, because we have that very negatively charged, literal view of the world that literally zooms the camera in on everything that's wrong. And very rarely even comments on the things that are going that are positive. You know, and we can recognize that tendency in ourselves and in our world and literally choose to trade it in for looking for and um, nurturing, cultivating the things that are positive, the things that are good, the things that are um, worth appreciating. Um, so that's one of the simplest. Uh, even little children can be taught to do that. And, and in fact, a lot of little kids are way better naturally at that than we are. When I became a grandmother a few years ago, I was in the midst of a very contentious political environment. And I was feeling pretty down about the way things were going. And, and I happened to take a, a, a walk in a real pretty wilderness area close to my home with my new little grandson, who was about six months old at the time. And to see his joy at a, a tree with flowers on it, or to the, you know the mountains, or the sun, or just the beauties of the world, it opened my eyes all over again to the fact that this world is amazing. It has beautiful, amazing things and people in it. And I'd been so busy glued to my screen, noticing everything that was wrong. I hadn't even noticed. I had to learn from my six-month-old son how to remember that the world was good. And it was a really important lesson. Yeah, I remember with, with kids, it's nice because you could relive the holidays and you know, holidays yeah. you don't care about anymore, like Thanksgiving or you know, Halloween and you dress up again and you do pumpkins. It's pretty cool to, to be reintroduced to that. The excitement of it. Yeah. That's been one of the things that's been really interesting about assembling these 16 strategies, because certainly I have uh, strategies in my toolkit that I've assembled, you know, from all this careful study over 30 years that are more heavy duty that require, you know, significant investment of effort and learning curve and so on. Things like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, incredibly powerful, but it takes a lot of time to learn. It takes a lot of effort. And so that's in, in my toolkit, that's number 14 out of 16. I don't start people with it because they're not going to get relief from it right away because there's, there's things that they'll need to, you know, to get to. Whereas things like, you know, the, the simple thing of, of positivity Again, that's something that we came loaded with. So, so in the, the way that I assemble the toolkit, the first five things, the first five tools are literally things like that, that we literally were born into this world with. I call them an innate, innate skills. And because we've all had some experience with them just in the early normal process of life, um, we may have lost track of them over the years. We kind of have to remember them and dust them off, but we've all had some experience with them. So those are the easiest to learn. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What do you mean? Like what, what's an example of some of the easiest first things yeah. you can do to help yeah. yourself? So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, tool number one is the principle of action. You, you know, if you've had kids or if you've even observed kids, kids are constantly active and in, involved, even, you know, babies, even in the womb, they're moving, they're stretching, they're discovering things, they're, they're in motion. 
action is consistent with happiness. It's when we tend to be inactive and not do anything and sit there, you know, that that's one of the things that tends into a downward spiral. And I find so often with my clients who are depressed or otherwise struggling emotionally, they've, they've settled into this pattern of just kind of sitting there, either sitting there watching media or sitting there thinking depressing thoughts inside their own head. We call that rumination, you know, just this unproductive pattern of just thinking and thinking and thinking in negative ways, rather than engaging in action and joyful action, actually do something, actually build something. So action is the first principle uh, that again, every child is, is born with. The second one is feeling. No um, newborn has to be taught to cry when they're scared or when they're hungry or when they're sad. And, and similarly, they don't need to be taught how to, to gurgle, you know, when they're, when they're comforted or when they feel their mother close by or when they hear a familiar voice. We come loaded with the capacity to feel. But over the process of time, if we're not careful and, and because of some life experiences that we might have in this world, we might be taught not to have permission to feel what we feel and to sort of close it off and shut it down and pretend we don't feel what we actually feel. I found for so many of my clients and, and others that I've worked with, regaining that capacity to notice what we actually feel, to be there with it, even if it's painful, to, to feel our genuine pain or sorrow or hunger or disappointment or whatever, rather than just pretend that we're feeling something that we're not. Um, we can't feel joy if we're not capable of feeling sorrow and pain, all that kind of stuff. We either have the system on or off and kids are born with it on and we can learn to turn it back on again. And then number three is the one I mentioned before, positivity rather than negativity. Number four is learning. Uh, again, kids are learning from the time that they're born, probably before that. They learn to hold their heads up. They learn to you know, navigate in space, to stand on their own little legs, to talk, to walk. You know, And we're born to, to engage in that kind of joyful process of always discovering something new, of learning things. And that process of lifelong learning can be such a, a, a continuous, joyful part of our existence from um, babyhood to death, really. But again, sometimes we just kind of settle into complacency and, you know, falling into ruts of what we already know, what we've already done, what's already, you know, familiar to us, even if it doesn't work, it's what we know. So it's what we do. Well, learning is such powerful path out of that kind of um, passivity and complacency. And then finally, um, the last one, creativity is the last of these five that I think we're really born with. You know, I know about you, but my little kids came into this world singing songs and coloring, you know, on the walls and, and experimenting yeah. with the sound of their voices and so on. It's just natural for kids to be creative in the world that we live in. We're taught to kind of turn off our creativity and just sort of regurgitate back what we're told and, you know, buy the per the already made um, product with somebody else's dance or somebody else's creation or somebody else's painting or somebody else's food rather than create things ourselves. There's a joy in creation that we literally were born with. So those five things, action, feeling, positivity, learning, creativity, those are the things that are in the first level of this happiness toolkit that I, that I found had, had been work, had worked for me and it's worked for so long. But what if you get the kit and you're experiencing none of those things or you feel like it's, some, it's very difficult to experience any of those things and you look at it um, and you're like, sure, I, it sounds great, but how do I do it? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. I find that there's always some tiny element of one of those things one or more of those things that people can do, you know, like on the positive positivity thing, for example, 
I, I have yet to find a client who was so far down, they couldn't find a single thing at all to notice and to write down, you know, I, I give people the first week uh, an assignment, for example, to keep a gratitude journal. It, it's easy, you know, they can find something to notice, even if it's just, you know, the sky happens to be blue today, or their kid said something funny, or, you know, um, they actually got paid on time for a change or their hair flipped the right way for a change. I mean, just simple things. It doesn't have to be rocket science, you know, or as far as action, they may not be able to run a marathon today, but they could maybe walk out to their mailbox today and pick up the mail or they, they, they can't clean their entire house today, but maybe they could throw a few away a few of the things in, in their junk drawer or something like that. So whittling it down to things that they can do. You know, I have yet to meet somebody who's so far down, they literally couldn't do anything whatsoever. And these five things, somewhere in those five things tends to be where, where people are most likely to start having some success in, in some of the small things that can get them going in a positive direction. So well, that's good. Is there a formula where you, you tell someone to, to pick one thing or three things or you know, how do they not get overwhelmed and how do they make sure they, they you know, they keep ascending mentally and feeling better? Well, it's one of the reasons that um, I've, I've written these out in the book and then most recently the workbook so that they basically have resources that they can scan and then decide where to start. It's different for everybody. So it's not formulaic. You know, I, I as I mentioned, most of my clients, I start with the gratitude journal, but some I don't. Some need to start with getting more physical activity. Some need to start by playing through with, their, with their kids more. Some need to start by getting more sleep or whatever it might be, you know, but having options laid out for them in advance, they can quickly scan through and say, you know, I, I already do pretty good with this one. This one I'm not so great with, but I remember a time when I used to do better with this particular thing, you know, and a lot of times that's the easiest place to start is to, you know, strengthen anew something that they had already done at some level in the past, you know, even if it's just by very, very small degrees and it typically is at first. So is it like a cornucopia of things they could do and they, they're supposed to pick one each day? Or what's the record? How do people interact um, with the workbook? Not necessarily. Usually I'll start people with, you know, a particular assignment and they do, normally I see my clients once a week, let's say. And so they'll maybe one or two things to focus on that week. So like week one, maybe they'll do the gratitude journal and maybe try to eat more vegetables rather than so many sweets. Let's say they do that for a week. And then the next week they come in and they keep that. And then they maybe add, you know, a little bit more exercise. They maybe add, you know, expressing something that they've been, you know, bottling up, even if it's in a journal or something. So, so we'll kind of add um, things over the process of time. I think it'd be really confusing to kind of flip it around every single day when people are first learning. Um, but over the process of time, um, being able to quickly scan through the various elements of the toolbox and say, you know, in the circumstance I'm dealing with now, this would be most useful, but that's, that tends to be the most helpful after people are already acquainted and anything, anything new is going to take a while to learn or to relearn. You're not going to do everything at once. So that's why I just oh. assign one or two things each each time. Yeah, what if someone picks a thing, but they need more examples of how to engage in the thing? Maybe it sounds silly, like it should be obvious, but you have um, you know, a list of like, okay, you're going to exercise today. Here's like 30 suggestions on really simple stuff you can do to get your heart going. I have quite a lot of those kinds of resources in the book and workbook, you know, like in the, in the action chapter, um, I have uh, something, a, an exercise called the recreational survey that has, I can't remember exactly, probably 10 or 15 different areas, you know, like exercise and learning and creativity, whatever, and then has maybe five or six different suggestions within each of those things. So people can just go, you know, identify, circle the things that they've have some personal interest in. Cause some of the things that might be joyful action for, 
for me might be really boring or hard or overwhelming to somebody else and vice versa. For example, my son, one of his favorite action strategies that really brings him joy is to go mountain bike. That That's like a 10 out of 10 joyful experience for him, especially if it's a really technical trail and he's you know, going up really steep you know, heights and having to navigate you know, around uh, very difficult uh, passages. That basically is just a recipe for me getting hurt. So that is not a recipe for my joy, going, you know, mountain biking on very, very complex trails like that. For me, I prefer to maybe sing and dance and lift weights. And, you know, for some people, the concept of singing is terrifying. So so we're very customized in the things that bring us joy. And so for each of the strategies, I've, I've developed worksheets and handouts where people can kind of scan through the different options and find that particular um, customized mix that is most likely to work for them personally, because it's going to be different than, than for anybody else. Yeah, no, that's excellent. What, what kind of situations do people have that make them most likely to come to you and say, hey, I need help or to, you know, to buy your book or to engage with you? Um, I see a wide range of clients far and away. The most common is depression, people that are depressed. And, you know, it's becoming a very close second anxiety. Sometimes I'll have people come in because of relationship problems or um, addiction, most especially sexual or pornography addiction has become really, really common in, in the last few years. I'll see a lot of people that uh, are, are simply dealing with a sense of just malaise, especially if they've gone through it through a major transition in their life, like retirement or graduation or the birth of a first child or their last child leaving home, leaving an empty nester. And they're not really sure what to do with themselves, you know? And so um, sometimes they'll kind of fall into a little bit of depression, low self-esteem, anxiety, sometimes not, but in any case, they, they need to find, develop a new sense of direction. And so those tend to be the kinds of situations that most commonly bring people to me. So what's the interaction like with the workbook? Are they working with you in the workbook or they go through it themselves and it's guided or how does it happen? Um, It depends on the individual. I mean, um, the workbook itself has only been out for about six weeks and I've been a counselor for 10 years and so basically for 30 years. And so basically um, the workbook has actually been a really, really wonderful tool to, to focus and expedite the work I've already been doing with clients. Cause you know, for, for 30 years, what I've done is help people identify here's what's not working. So let's replace it with this. Now it's just, they have the workbook to refer to. So I have a number of clients now that the workbook is available that, that do go through, uh, they're still meeting with me once a week to sort of report on their progress and to get some more insights and to help them if they get stuck. Um, but certainly the workbook is, is developed in, in such a way that people can work step by step through the various exercises and then um, refer back to the original book, which has a lot more detail and a lot more stories and background and stuff, you know, if they need some extra insight. But that's usually what we do is, you know, um, depending on the person's needs, I'll still as a counselor meet with them the first week to sort of get a sense of what their needs are, what their questions, what their issues are, make some initial suggestions, get them started, you know, ordering the book or, or you know, whatever. But it's, it, I still usually give them some initial exercises to get started with that I found to be helpful. Things that are in the workbook that they'll eventually get to, but I, I, I give it to them when they first come in. And then, um, you know, we sort of build on that basis. And, and from week to week, it really is interesting how people's you know, different paths, different needs unfold. And, and like I say, no one individual is the same as another. Do, do people graduate from the workbook and they go on to a second one or is it um, it's just an ongoing resource for them that they use periodically? Oh, it can be an ongoing resource. I mean, it, it, it starts, as I mentioned, with those kind of innate skills sort of things that are fairly easy to, to capture. It ends with things that are harder. They're, in all honesty, 
I myself who wrote the book have not fully mastered. <laughs> I don't think anybody of us as human beings has. The last three skills, which are the hardest and the most complex are thinking tool, which basically is cognitive therapy of identifying thought patterns that bring you down and replacing them with patterns that work better for you. Even as the author of this book, I sometimes catch myself in a, in a you know negative moment when I kind of, you know, a negative thought gets a hold of me and I have to turn that around. So in that instance, it is kind of a lifetime thing. Tool 15, um, the second hardest, I call the connection tool which is basically how to create methods for creating positive connection with other human beings, you know, in terms of positive communication, relationships, those things, unlike um, the, the t- tool one through five that we uh, talked about before, those don't come naturally to us. We don't, we aren't naturally unselfish. We aren't naturally, you know, patient and kind and communicate and speak in eye messages and stuff. We don't, we don't naturally do that. That, that is literally a lifetime uh, venture to learn how to connect and communicate productively with other people. Uh, and then finally, the last one, tool number 16, which is the most demanding of all, is healing, meaning healing from past pain, past trauma, grief, those kinds of things. I don't know that there's any of us, myself included, who are ever going to be done 100% with all of the 16 things, you know. So it is kind of an ongoing journey, but it's a step-by-step journey that's a lot easier when you have some signposts to refer to rather than just kind of wandering around in the dark. Do you recommend that people work with a therapist with this workbook if they don't work with you? It really depends on their needs and also depends, obviously, on their resources. Certainly the book and so many of the other things I've developed over the years um, are intended for people to either work, as I did, without the benefit of a therapist or I think people do make efficient progress if they work with a therapist, but obviously not everybody has that option, you know, and it also kind of depends on the kind of therapist. Unfortunately, there are therapists and treatments and technologies that I think, in all honesty, do more harm than good in, in building dependency and focusing people too quickly on, you know, their traumas and their difficulties and their whatever before they really give them um, some coping strategies from the beginning to deal with. In other words, they sort of start with tool 16, you know, let's deal with all the pain and trauma and horribleness of your past and figure out whose fault it is that you're miserable. And I find a lot of times that does more harm than good, you know, so it it really depends on the individual's needs and on the resources that are available to them. I, I think in general, if it's possible to, you know, have access to the book and at the same time, you know, be able to work through those things with the support of another skilled, you know, practitioner, that's ideal. Um, but certainly, you know, it, it can work the other way as well. What about forming groups where they do like a book club of your book, like this week, you know, the group's going to go over this particular chapter and everyone can practice the skill. And, you know, what if it turns into like a group therapy type thing where people, again, go through the book as almost as like a Bible study in a way. It's a really cool idea. Again, the books are, you know, the, the workbook is only six weeks old and the book itself is only two years old. So to my knowledge, nobody's ever tried that, but I think it's a really cool idea and I think it could be really, you know, helpful kind of similar to what uh, groups have done over the years with the 12 steps, um, or like you say, Bible study. Uh, I, th- I think there can be tremendous power in people, you know, sharing their ideas and their insights and saying, hey, this is the phrase that really spoke to me. And this was my experience with it. And then, uh, you know, kind of uh, launching that sort of synergy and exchange um, with other people, I, I think can be really cool. So for people to get the book, where should they go? And then uh, if people want to work with you directly, how can they do so? Sure. The book is really easy to find. Um, the easiest way to get to it, of course, is on Amazon. Just uh, You just either put in my name, Carrie Wrigley, or uh, the main title, Your Happiness Toolkit. 
it leads you right to both the book, which, like I say, was called Your Happiness Toolkit, or this newer workbook, which is Your Happiness Toolkit workbook. They're part of a series. So you find one, you, you're led to the other. Basically, the difference between the two is uh, the book is 440 pages, goes into all the detail, all the backstory, and so on. The good thing about it is it's really thorough. The bad thing about it can be kind of overwhelming if people have limited time or energy. And so for, for that reason, I came up with this second book, which the workbook, which is much more visual, much more action-oriented. They work fantastic together. And like I say, on Amazon, if you find one, you find the other. And as far as um, working with me or tapping into some of the other resources I have available, easiest way to do that is by means of my website, carrierigley.com. That's spelled C-A-R-R-I-E-W-R-I-G-L-E-Y.com. I have links on there to um, not just the books, but a number of uh, videos, uh, information about how to work with me personally, people choose to do that, free downloads um, of uh, some sort of starter kits that people can start working with even before getting the book, and a number of other resources that may be useful. Well, very good. And that's the best way to find you is go to Amazon and look up your happiness toolkit. Well, th- that for the book specifically, and then for the other information regarding me and my other materials to carryrigley.com. Excellent. Very good. Well, Carrie, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.